0: ian thomas malone many of the listeners of this show probably grew up with star trek ian tells us what it was like for her
1: i I mean it, it, it's it's the ultimate franchise for liking you know just something you can constantly revisit and chew around much like a russian novel you know you spend enough time with something and it, it doesn't really leave you and it doesn't yeah. have that kind of sense of beginning middle and end to it it's kind of more of a fluid entity I remember when i was little i was i used to read a lot of the extended universe books for star trek and star wars and i actually really credit that with laying down the framework for my career as an author because the accessibility of a lot of those books of knowing who the characters were kind of allowed me you know how with kids there's like you know fifth grade reading level fourth grade reading level all of that kind of stuff and the books are kind of dumbed down but with a lot of those books i was able to Oh, I know who Spock is. I know who Kirk is. I'll just read this adult book. And it's not like, you know, adult books are, you know, 18th century Russian literature, all of them. So I was able to, you know, engage with that stuff at an earlier age. And it probably gave my vocabulary a boost. I would see all of these uh, at book sales. They would just they've produced the novel versions of like basically every original series episode, which was kind of cool. And that's definitely a big testament to the writing. the quality of the writing that somebody would say oh we'll put this in a paperback and it'll you know we'll sell this." this is how good it is i would read when i was little when i was at the ya age i was reading like the ones they were putting out for adults and you know they're not they're not the they're not that complex as a, yeah in terms of writing, but because I knew who the characters were, I was able to sit there. Like the, especially with the Star Wars, with the Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Heir to the Empire trilogy. I mean, that's like a adult book, but I really liked it when I was, I think I read that for the first time when I was like 10. Although we didn't have uh, a new Star Wars movie every year. So unless you wanted to watch Jar Jar Binks.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you, you started watching Star Trek on TV and then that got got you in the books
1: yeah when i was little i didn't really understand that star wars and star trek i grew up like my first big science fiction memory is is being very drawn to uh, r2d2 in a new hope when he's when they're on the Tantive 4 and they're walking right before the ship gets attacked and all of that and i remember seeing that robot mm. and thinking to myself i've never seen anything like this and really being drawn to the idea that this whole space opera concept that was a thing. And as much as I love Star Wars, you know, there was only the three movies and, like, the Ewoks cartoon. There wasn't a ton to really bite your teeth into. And I didn't really understand that Star Trek was, you know, because I would have been, like, five or six at the time. I didn't really understand that Star Trek was a different thing. Mm -hmm. But that also had aliens and fun people. So I started watching that, and it's just, I mean, it's a fun show. It's something that... You know, having seen a lot of the original series in The Next Generation when I was little and revisiting them as a teenager and rewatching them now, you always kind of add a new perspective each time. But they hold up. I mean, it's a really well correct. Star Trek's a really they've done a great job for the past 50 years of of building each time they contribute something new. Yeah, it's soaked in the reverence for the original while also being there's really there's not a lot of junk. A couple episodes that are terrible and should probably shouldn't be aired but you know there think about how few shows from the 60s anyone can even um, name anymore. True.
0: Yeah, like you're not going back to watch a uh, or even the 70s. Yeah, uh sorry, I'm trying to think of Three's Company, you know, the sitcom right. uh, era. Most yeah. I don't I look back at those thinking oh my god, my parents used to watch this and I watched this. How how did I stand it?
1: <laughs> or even like I I I like the original Battlestar Galactica just for sort of fun value but that's, that's a way worse show in terms of the production value. Although, I live right where um, one of the first scenes of the original Battlestar Galactica when Earth is attacked was about a block from my apartment.
0: The football cool. field?
1: Uh, they hit, like, City Hall, and it's the Long Beach City Hall. I gotta look the uh, exact. Um, I found out that detail because there was a Battlestar panel at Long Beach Comic Con, and a guy, uh, the host of that, Mark Altman, was saying, oh, Long Beach is, you know, forever entwined in... They would just... I don't think that footage was even filmed for Battlestar, but it was just kind of back when studios would have a lot of stock clips of, like, people running and screaming. (laughs) The Godzilla movies all kind of did that. They'd recycle the same stuff. I'm, I'm sure the original series in Star Trek recycled a lot of things, but, you know, you had this weekly show, and they weren't really, you know, thinking about home release or uh, syndication or anything like that. They were just trying to fill an hour of television for that night of the week and they're like, I need this screaming scene. Like, oh, we'll get you this. We're definitely not going to film your own because that's too much money. The gap between TV and film back then was definitely you know, miles wider than it is now. Whereas you know, nowadays you can turn on a show like Game of Thrones and get a, you know, first rate film caliber quality show on on TV. Who would have thought about that? Nobody, nobody 30 years ago was thinking that their stuff would be watched 30 years later.
0: I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you were kind of, you were kind of touching on a point about film caliber on TV and that was, uh, the original series, uh, the Battlestar Galactica original series idea was to do, uh, their version of what could be a star Wars, um, though you know it's 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 what it is it was at the time i enjoyed it i don't know i haven't gone back to try to watch one so i can't claim if i could uh enjoy it or not it's hard to watch that one and then think to yourself somebody because Battlestar
1: has been something that even now the I, I guess it's run by universal has the rights to it and they keep trying to figure out how they can keep milking it because you know disney now has star wars paramount as Star Trek and although I guess the film rights and the TV rights of that are different it's a bummer with Discovery how we can't have Zachary Quinto play Spock I think there's a there's a disconnect between the because he, he's not doing anything if you look up <laughs> like his IMDb you know Chris Pine wanted all that money to I guess they're not making the fourth one anymore because uh. Uh, Chris Pine and uh, Chris Hemsworth wanted too much money but Zachary Quinto he's not doing anything and we we need to have this new Spock. But uh, in terms of Battlestar, Universal has... That's that's their space franchise, and they don't really know what to do with it. Hmm. And it's hard to believe that one of the better, really serious dramas of the past 20 years, the reboot of Battlestar, which of course has its roots in Star Trek by way of Ronald D. Moore,
0: was oh. like actually
1: a thing when you see what a joke the original show was. Yeah, Ronald D. Moore was... Uh, he was the man responsible for basically every good Klingon episode of the next generation after like season three or four. And then every good at Klingon episode of deep space nine. Cause he went to do deep space nine after the next generation. And then he tried to do Voyager, but I think he only wrote one script and then he had had a falling out with those people because he brought up, I mean, Voyager could have been basically Battlestar Galactica, but instead, it was, you know, by token of, of its premise of, oh, we're just stranded in the Delta Quadrant. They even in the beginning, they're like, we have X number of shuttles and we have something like 30 proton torpedoes and rat, you know, food shortages and supply shortages are, are a plot of maybe like two or three episodes. But mm-hmm. for the most part, the rest of Voyager is just business as usual. Voyager Voyager is the most frustrating trek to me because it has many of my favorite episodes in the series and I think it has, nine basically ninety five percent of my least favorite. Well, <laughs> the Trek I truly really hate is Voyager.
0: Is there a I, is there a um, how do I say it? Is there a characteristic in the Voyager ones that where you say okay these are this is why those are my most hated? And then there's a, is there a characteristic for the ones that you enjoy the most?
1: The ones I enjoy the most are the ones that really try to push the premise, like the character centric when kind the Doctor would try and teach Seven of Nine humanity. It was it was kind of the case of uh learning through uh, teaching he, he he didn't really know how to be a human and he would try to sort of explain to her the one they did where it was like the year of hell where they it was a two-parter and voyager was on the run basically running out of supplies and naturally by the end of the episode they retconned it with everything else but
0: uh i'm sorry say that again they write
1: it. they ret- retconned it like they uh reset the status quo Oh. Trip had basically like blown up and everybody had died by the end of it and then they went back in time or did some A lot of the great trick episodes just kind of came out of nowhere and something that was going to be a really stupid premise ended up being really great. Like the original uh the original Trouble with Tribbles episode. Who would have thought that these like multiplying little fur uh, fur balls would be so endearing and yet you can got <laughs> buy Tribble merchandise now.
0: Right. And
1: there's also the, the Deep Space Nine episode where uh, it's told in the future. Jake Sisko is talking about uh, he's telling it from the future. And it's it's really it's depressing. It's bleak. It's not it's not very science fiction at all. Huh. Constantly challenging you to rethink what it means to be Star Trek. And that's that's also, you know, getting back to Discovery, Why what I like about it. It's you tune in each week and, you know, it's going to be Star Trek, but. They're going to do something new. I, nice, I don't really, right. by the time Enterprise failed, people were th- saying to themselves, you know, it's it's been 18 years of continuous treks and enough's enough. Enough should never be enough. They've got <laughs> every world they can do like the temporal Cold War. There's so much turf. It's, it's when the sh- it's when the series starts going in sort of uh, repetition with, uh. you know, how many plot lines are designed around. You know, ex crew guy gets stranded on planet. We have this amount of time to get them off. I mean, that's probably 10 or 15 separate episodes. So, when when people want to talk about, I mean, Star Wars runs into this problem all the time of older fans saying, like, this isn't what I was used to. Right. Well, that used to not really be a bad thing. Right. But nostalgia is such a powerful tool in uh, current popular culture that I, I, I think people live in fear of you know, doing something that's too edgy or too out there. Which, I mean, Discovery is in a lot of ways. It's also, you know, very rooted in, I mean, for all the, when when they went into the Prime, uh, when they went into the Mirror Universe uh, last season, I kept thinking to myself, you know, holy Mm -hmm. shit, this is really, I I wasn't expecting this at all. Yeah, me neither. This show's really pushing itself. They didn't drag the Klingon war out too long they really answered they, they brought it back i didn't think the first couple episodes were that good when i was watching and i thought the show. i mean that's kind of the problem with uh brian fuller left the show and all star treks need time to figure out what they are
0: however you found sci-fi thoughts be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services. If you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. Ian shares copious knowledge in Chapter 2 of Exploring Star Trek Voyager, an academic book about the series from McFarland Press. Tap on the link in the show notes to jump right there to Amazon. Next episode, Ian Thomas Malone and I continue talking about Star Trek Discovery.
1: By the end of Discovery's first season, I was thinking to myself, This is probably the best first season of a Star Trek since the original.